Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebijamra. It's great to have you here again. As you know, every Thursday, we get together for a conversation. We've been going through this very fun series called Dear Lena, where I just answer your questions. And we're talking about some interesting topics about faith, life, culture, and everything in between. And uh, every few weeks, we come uh, across a person that has a story that is worth telling. And so today's one of those stories we're going to be talking about. Um, well, actually, every one of you who's listening is going to be interested in this. We're going to be talking about body image and uh, food and diet and everything in between. And I'm really excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine and somebody who um, is uh, at the beginning of her career as a functional medicine doctor. Her name is Alexandra McKillop, and she describes herself as a food scientist. Uh, and, and she actually is just starting practicing her career and recently graduated from um, her schooling and is going to be joining a practice in functional medicine at an integrative clinic near Chicago, Illinois. She'll tell us a little more about that, I'm sure, in a bit. But she is passionate about helping women cultivate lifestyle behaviors that honor God and their bodies um, through, and I like this description, a gentle approach to nutrition and self-care. As a, I'm in my mid-age right now, and so many of you know, I've been sort of on the up and down of the keto diet and, and, and all of these, you know, 10 ugly pounds that everybody keeps putting on and wants to take off. So I can't wait to be freed from all of these burdens that I've been carrying and live in this freedom that she talks about in her book. I've just started uh, getting to know her writings more. And she has written about faith, food, and medicine on her blog, uh, alexandramacillop.com. We'll give you guys this, this, this link later. Uh, in the meantime, she's got a book coming out in the spring that I think um, I think you all are going to want to hear about now, but also go out and buy. And I tell you, having read through a portion of it already, I um, it's going to be something that we're going to give away later in the conversation. So the book is titled Fulfilled. Let Get the subtitle, guys, because it's really going to, um, I think if you're not convinced yet that you want to hear this podcast, this will. The subtitle is Let Go of Shame, Embrace Your Body, and Eat the Food You Love. So I'm all in, Alexandra, and it's great to have you here Thank with you. us today. So you are here in Chicago like I am. Yes, I am. I am currently living in Palatine with my husband, and but I was born and raised in the Chicago area, the western suburbs, and um, so I'm very familiar with Midwest winters. <laughs> yeah, uh, all uh, we're, get, we're getting there, right? I mean, we're early in the, in, we're recording this actually in the beginning of fall, but it feels like always oh, like the ominous is coming upon us. Mm -hmm. um, tell us, uh, you we're just you know catching up a little bit. So you are a doctor, and uh, tell us a bit about how you ended up in the career that you're in. Yeah, for sure. So um, for pretty much my whole kind of adolescent adult years, I was interested in health and wellness and taking care of our bodies. Um, it's something that just kind of really resonated with me. I was an athlete in school um, and it just always seemed like the right thing to do to be taking care of myself. Um, and so I had my own personal interest in nutrition. Um, I liked blogging about it when I was in high school. I actually had a blog about nutrition. And then in college, I went on to study food science, um, which to me was a really nice hybrid between engineering, which is what I originally thought I wanted to do, and nutrition, which is something that I thought was more of a hobby for myself. Um, and in studying food science and learning more about that, I, I kind of found myself more drawn to a clinical role of being able to talk with people more one-on-one -on -one about their health. So my plan was to go to medical school. And um, I was all set up. Actually, I was really fortunate to have a full ride to Indiana University Medical wow. School. And um, I was going through the interview process and my interviewer asked me what specialty I wanted to go into. And I said, uh, primary care. And he asked me why. And I explained my interest in kind of 
preventative health and wellness and everything. And um, he kind of gave me some pushback. He said, you kind of have an inflated view of what your role would be in medicine in terms of being able to help people make those changes. You just don't have enough time in a clinical setting. And he said, you're going to have your little nutrition focused practice and you're going to be meeting with your hospital administrator because you only get 17 minutes with your patient. I kind of just, I I was frustrated in the moment because, you know, you're trying to be on your best behavior at at the medical school interview. Um, But it kind of really caused me to have this sort of crisis of what am I getting into? What do I really want to do? How do I build that career for myself? And um, so I kind of backed away from medical school for a while. I went to a graduate program. And while I was there, I actually learned about chiropractic medicine, um, which uh, chiropractors are typically known for adjusting or people say back cracking, but it's actually a lot much more than that in our scope of practice and our degree. We have a four-year degree just like an MD would, but the training is more focused on avoiding drugs and surgery. So while we still would run blood work and do a full patient history and exam, just like another provider would do. Um, We then focus our treatments on using herbs, supplements, and lifestyle interventions to help avoid some of that more um, invasive care, which is necessary at times. We're so grateful for it, but um, we would love to keep people out of that really sick zone and help them to kind of get on a different path earlier on. So I switched gears when I was in graduate school. I went to chiropractic school in Chicago, um, and then I just graduated, and I'll be working in functional medicine here in the city for hopefully a long time. Now, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, there was a personal bit that we kind of skipped over that I want to go back to because you really had a vested personal interest in how you landed in your interest in food science, right? I mean, there was a little bit of a struggle in your high school years and uh, maybe fill us in on some of that. Yeah, for sure. So when I was in high school as an athlete, um, I had this interest in health and wellness and very much that stemmed from the desire to be better at my sport. Um, And I kind of took it way too far. I thought that um, I could manipulate my diet into making me a better athlete. I thought I could manipulate my diet into making my body more appealing according to what I thought beauty was. And so I became way too restrictive. Um, I was obsessive over this health aspect, but I was not eating enough. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to be as thin as possible. I developed an eating disorder and um, it was a really hard journey for me to heal from that because what I found was everybody around me was doing the things that I was doing, but I was the one that was getting pushback from my family and my doctors for it because it was clear that what I was doing was not healthy. Um, You know, the skipping meals or the cutting back on meals or kind of being really strict about foods that a person eats, those behaviors are common in our society and women are kind of praised for doing those things. Um, It's just on this spectrum of like some people kind of go a little too far with that or they have this really strong pull on them as I did um, having that eating disorder to where now these behaviors are kind of labeled as bad when what I have since learned is that um, none of them are really reflective of what God designed our bodies to be, what the role of food is meant to be in our lives and who we are. You know, we are more than our bodies. Um, We are more than what we eat. And so becoming sidetracked by those things is really toxic to us, obviously, in terms of our health, as I learned about with my eating disorder. But I also realized that it was dangerous for me to be at a healthy weight and to be in that dieting mindset um, in my adult years as well. Um, and so, well, it, I mean, it's it's almost like you were more 
everybody sort of has a, their own version of an obsession on food. I, I agree. I mean, I feel like our culture, there's clearly a message of what men should look like, what women should look like. And we sort of all interpret them in our own ways and some more successful than others. And in some ways, what's the difference? Like, like in a sense, you were more successful in the sense that you were able to bring down the weight, but there's a point where it became obviously unhealthy and obsessive. Uh, you know, what is it, what defines an eating disorder? Is it, is it this constant obsession or is it the actual weight point that you reach where now it's like, oh, now you're formally in a category of illness versus before you weren't? Yeah, that's a great question. So eating disorders are not about weight. They're not about body shape and size. Really, um, clinically, they're diagnosed as a mental illness because it, w- what the pathology is, is our obsession with food, our preoccupation with food, exercise in our bodies. Um, however, for the person struggling with those things, body weight and, and body image become very central kind of focal points because a lot of the focus is trying to shrink our bodies or change our bodies to look differently. So I think many, you're correct, you know, so many people struggle with this in a different um, capacity because it's our whole culture focuses on what you look like and, um, all of health, the health information that we get from the media is really focused on, you know, thin is healthy. And that's just not true. It's not the full picture. And um, I always like to make the the argument that obsessing or worrying about eating a cookie is way less healthy than actually just eating the cookie and moving on with your life. Um, because we yeah, should... I mean, your, your intro to the book is so good in that regard, because you really do sort of present it right off the bat. Like, we're, you know, this is about eating the foods you enjoy, blah, 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 you know, it, but, but but it's complicated. Mm-hmm. What, you know, it's, has it always been complicated? I mean, as you've studied and counseled people, you know, with as you've battled it and got victorious over this issue in your life, like let, talk to us a little bit about sort of this concept of first of all uh, to frame where you were at. You're a Gen Z. Uh, I think I technically a millennial. Okay, I, you're sort of in the middle. I mean, you just graduated from graduate school, so I'm sort of trying to to put you in a in a in a box just to give people a mental idea. So you're young, and so you're grown up influenced by social media to a greater degree than maybe I. I mean, I'm in my late forties, so I mean, how has that aspect of life impacted, particularly that you know, ten to thirty year old age, which seems to be where most of this this sort of obsession starts and grows, or or sure. is that? Unfair, or does it start younger than that? You know, I would say um, it's kind of circumstantial. I think there comes a point when each of us becomes aware of the pressure in our society about body image and aware of this conversation about food. So I would say for myself, it, it started at a young age because my parents were health conscious. I had some family members who had struggled with cancer. And so my parents were were cognizant of that and they wanted to kind of take this preventative approach to the way that they ate and the way that they fed us in our home to be health promoting, you know. And so I grew up thinking, okay, food influences my health. Um, and then when I got to high school, it became food influences my athletic performance and food influences my body shape and size. And I wouldn't say that necessarily there were a lot of conversations among my friends or like we didn't have um, a whole lot of social media when I was in those kind of middle school, high school years. However, as someone who had a personal interest in blogging, I very much was exposed to a lot more of that sort of sentiment of obsessing over food and obsessing over our bodies by reading other people's blogs. So there was this big sort of 
world that I found a community of people who blogged about health and wellness. Um, and what I've since learned is that a lot of the things that they were endorsing or doing or writing about actually weren't good for people to do. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it appealed to me because I could see, follow their story and see you know, here's the impact. They said they did this with their food and I see how it seems to have affected them. I'm going to try that. Well, and how, how do you define a healthy view? I mean, I guess, where do we get all this shame? I guess, first, where do we get this shame? Most women, I think in particular, I, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm a woman, I think like a woman, but I would imagine men have their own bag of issues, mm -hmm. but, but there, <laughs> women shame, body shame. I mean, that's sort of intrinsic to you know, majority of women have something that they don't like about their body. Where does this come from? Is that part of our sin nature? Is that imposed on us by others? Is that legit? I mean, how do we develop such a strong sense of shame mm -hmm. over particularly our weights? I personally feel that it comes from looking to find our identity in our body rather than our identity in Christ and who God made us to be. Um, because if I'm living for the purpose of a certain body shape or size. Or for example, if I feel like I'm not truly able to fulfill my potential, if my body doesn't look how I want it to, I'm idolizing my body. I'm idolizing the flesh. Whereas God um, tells us that we're so much more than that. He says, you know, what is man if, um, if, oh gosh, I'm going to mess up the verse. So I just won't even try. But um, the point is God defines us according to what our hearts are and what our relationship with him is and our ability to fulfill his will for our lives. Um, he sees us through Christ and through Christ's sacrifice, not for what our own bodies are or what we're doing with our bodies um, in terms of food and exercise. How did you make the leap from thinking about body image and weight to seeing Christ in, at the heart of this? You know, I would I will be fully honest, the moment for me was something that I really feel was God intervening in my life. Um, I, I kind of hit a low point when I was in college. I was studying abroad and I was struggling with these issues. Um, as when I was younger, my eating disorder was much more of the restrictive type. And then in college it was kind of more binging and purging and things like that. And I had this incredible opportunity to study abroad. I was in Italy, um, you know, where you a person might want to eat and drink and enjoy everything that there is to enjoy. And that was like a crisis moment for my eating disorder of, um, I want to eat these foods, but I feel guilty about it. And so I kind of had reached this point um, where I felt overwhelmed one day. I was uh, upset with how I felt like I had eaten that day and I went for a run um, and I actually, I passed out and um, I kind of like woke up like on the side of the road in that foreign country where I didn't speak the language. It was like the middle of the night um, and I I just fell before God and I said, God, I need you to take this from me. It, either take my life or take this struggle because I can't keep doing this. Like I know I'm going to kill myself if I end up doing this, like continuing to live like this. Mm -hmm. um, and and God was very, very faithful on his promise to um, respond with his love when we cry out for it. And then, you know, I found my way home. I woke up the next morning. I just had this sort of mental clarity um, in my mind, which is something I hadn't experienced for a very, very long time because all of my thoughts and my energy were devoted to thinking about food. And I had this space where I was able to notice something that wasn't about exercise or food or my body. And I, I noticed colors, it seemed like for the first time, or like I noticed the smell of flowers in the air. It was the summer in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And I just had this moment where I realized, okay, God is good and God is bigger than what I'm going through, but I'm going to take little steps and trust him 
um, with what he calls of me and try to live for something bigger than, than this struggle that I have. And it was, it was little steps from there, but I had this renewed sense of strength to have really have the courage to move beyond what my food rules were telling me. Um, and I don't think that I would have been able to do that had I not had that moment of full surrender, um, in the middle of the night there, um, that just hours before. Well, and it is, I mean, it, there is a point where with certain struggles, let's say eating struggles, I think, and obviously as a doctor myself, I mean, I know anorexia can be so, I mean, this is, you know, one of the areas I remember doing my psychiatry rotation, rotating in the eating disorder section of the, um, you know, hospital for you know, teenagers and whatnot. And just the sense of the struggle is so destructive. And, and then watching even people who aren't diagnosed with a specific, you know, like in that category, but just even watching um, women, Christian women, struggle with body image and shame and, and this constant dieting. And when you look at Facebook, whatever venue, I mean, there's constant talk and talk about weight loss. And I mean, it's exhausting. And how do you, mm. how do you change your mind? Uh, like, so you describe this sort of moment of clarity, because it's true, like you can become obsessive in your mind about anything. And by the way, this is addictive behavior. It doesn't have to apply just to eating disorders, but sort of like, how do you, and I think this is something that most Christians want to know, like, how do you change what you think about? How do you change your thinking? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is like sort of sort of a miraculous moment that happened to you. But talk to me a little bit more about the day-by-day struggle. Okay, so God gives you clarity, but then it's still a day-by-day yes. walk. Tell me about how you overcame the actual day-by-day struggle. Mm-hmm. So there's an affirmation that I heard that says it's kind of, um, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten. And that really resonated with me in my recovery of having this moment where I would reflect on, okay, what have I been doing with food? I thought that it would help me be thinner and like myself more, but it had not that effect. It had the opposite effect. It actually amplified my dissatisfaction with my body. Okay. So if I keep up these behaviors, this restricting, this thinking about food or approaching food and exercise in this way, that's going to move me away from my goal of feeling at peace in life. So if I was struggling with kind of the temptation to diet or to skip a meal or to you know, use food or exercise in a way that I knew was not healthy for me. Um, I would pause for a moment and I would say, okay, this is not going to help me reach the place that I truly want, which is feeling at peace with food in my body. Because, you know, I think as women, we think, oh, our ultimate goal is to, you know, lose the 10 pounds or whatever. But I don't think that's true. I think what most of us want is to feel at peace with our bodies and with who we are. And Mm -hmm. the world has fed us this lie that thinness or being thinner will make us at peace with our bodies. Um, But I have yet to meet someone who that truly comes true for. Um, Usually it's the opposite. You know, losing weight makes people a little more preoccupied because they lose the five pounds or the 10 pounds and they start to worry that they're going to gain it back. Right. (laughs) So you basically describe to me what a healthy man or woman as it pertains to body image looks like. Yeah. So I would say, um, being the, the best body image days are the ones where you don't think about your body at all (laughs) because you are too, um, consumed with living the life and fulfilling the purpose that God has for you on that day. Because, um, I, I personally feel that thinking about our bodies is very limiting, um, because we're stuck in ourselves in that moment when we can open our eyes and see the people around us and the opportunities that the Holy Spirit will present to us for that day. Um, on top of that, though, it's being at peace with 
um, just the the temple that God has given our spirit to live. So there's a quote that I heard that says, um, we often think that, you know, since the, the, our bodies are the indwelling of the Holy spirit, as it says in the Bible, um, that it means that we need to make sure that, that the temple is beautiful and it's actually not true. The temple is a place where we go to worship. And so if I can be mm-hmm. in my body and be reconciled with my reflection at least enough to where I can fully be present with worshiping God, you know, not sitting in church and worrying if my dress looks nice on me or flatters my figure or something. If I can sit there and I can have my spirit be fully engaged in worship. And when I'm going throughout my day, my mind can be engaged with, um, the people around me. That is a good sense of body image. So sure, that would mean being comfortable in, in my skin to a certain degree, but wearing clothes that fit me well or by eating in a way that nourishes my body so that I feel good so I can serve God. And then what about the person who is on the other side of it? Maybe they want you know, the, the body image where you know you're overweight and you aren't feeling like you're healthy and you want to make healthy choices, but it is hard. I mean, how do you, how would you even counsel that person to say, all right, you know, you don't want to make it so obsessive, but there's a sense of defeat, I think, to a lot of women's um, lives, I think, as they have tried. Okay, like they'll go to, I hear a lot of women who go to exercise, but like, man, I work out so much, I try to eat healthy, but I'm still putting on weight. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that in life, be it true medical reasons that need to be looked into or not. But how do you encourage that person to come to a place of peace where, you know, they might be trying and, you know, they may never be like that size that they're dreaming about or that, how do you, but, but, but legitimately, they may be overweight, you know, how do you help them? Yeah. Um, I like to encourage people to see health as a behavior rather than, uh, or a series of behaviors rather than a weight or a body shape or size. Because the truth is God created us with diversity. We are all different. We have different color hair. We have different color eyes, different color skin, and we celebrate those things. But for some reason, we kind of get stuck on the fact that we have different sizes and shapes of our bodies naturally too, and we can be healthy with that diversity. And so I would encourage someone and say, you know, that the exercise, doing the exercise, is what's healthy for you. Um, sure, it's not going to make you lose five pounds in, in 20 minutes of jogging, but that's going to re- lower your stress. It's going to help support your metabolism. It's going to help support your cardiovascular function. Let's think about it in terms of what is the exercise doing for you today rather than trying to think, 20 days down the line when you might see a a change on the scale. Because many people make really healthy behavior changes, you know, including more fresh food or adding more movement to their lives and their weight doesn't change, but you run their blood work and their labs have completely improved. And so encouraging someone to see their health as not what they see in the mirror, but what they um, are doing for themselves as an expression of self-care coming from a place of worship. What do you think of fad diets? <laughs> <laughs> Intermittent fasting, keto, some big ones that are out now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it kind of makes me sad just because I think in our culture, we very much look for a quick fix. Um, something like, oh, if I just do this one thing, I follow this one rule, I'm going to lose all the weight I want to lose. I'm going to make a million dollars and I'm going to feel like a million dollars. And right. it, but there's so much money being made in, in diet industries. Like it's sickening how quickly yes. we fall prey to that. I think, I think what you just said there about the amount of money in the diet industry, uh, that's proof of the pudding that it doesn't work because the diet industry wouldn't be worth so much if people weren't continuing to buy diets, which they wouldn't have to try the next diet and the next diet if the first one worked. Um, and, and that's just what it comes down to is, is dieting doesn't 
work for long-term effective weight loss for the vast, vast, vast majority of people. Um, whereas the slow changes and focusing on behaviors would be effective for someone. And with my work in functional medicine, you know, I very much strive to help support God's natural design of the human body. We want to um, lean into the way things are supposed to work. And so with the keto diet, for example, you know, I understand that many people, um, try this and maybe they find some success. And I, I certainly don't want to make it seem like I'm shaming anybody for their choice of dieting because I have been there <laughs> for sure. But I like to use this as an example because um, the keto diet creates a functionally abnormal state in the body. You know, the human body mm -hmm. typically would run on glucose as its source of energy. The brain runs almost entirely on glucose as it is. And when we're on the keto diet, we shift that metabolic environment to, because we're not providing glucose to our bodies through eating it. We don't eat carbs. And instead we are processing what's called a ketone, which is kind of an alternative form of sugar that is made from fats. Um, and so that state of ketosis, um, God designed that for our bodies in a state of emergency. That wasn't the original design of how our bodies are supposed to function. And so I personally find that um, it kind of speaks to the fact that we're trying to manipulate this biology uh, for our own worldly desires or for our own pursuit or our own um, gain, whereas honoring the natural design of our bodies by eating carbohydrates in a balanced way that honors the body God gave us, that is going to help us find freedom because we don't have to be so super careful about wondering how many carbs are in our meal if we're going out to dinner with friends or we're at a celebration or we're, you know, eating our own birthday cake. Like I think a person should be able to, to do that and, and it won't yeah. ruin their, their body goals. Um, yeah. Or peaches. That's what did it for me this summer. I've never been, I mean, I've always been a Cheeto keto, like a Cheeto. <laughs> I've never really gone into ketosis, but I've cut down carbs quite a bit. And I've mm -hmm. felt good when I've done it, obviously, because of healthier lifestyles. But this summer, like, I think the thing, I was a bit like, I, got, I put on a couple pounds during, you know, the COVID. And, and then I was like, oh, I got to get back on keto. But there was this weight to it. And, and, and I felt like I was missing out. And, and it was peaches that I was like, one day I was like, I don't think God wants you to live without eating peaches. Like, how yeah. can you go through the summer with And whatever the food, like, it's a good food. Like, I think when we become so regimented and, and rigid in our thinking about food, you can miss out on so much of the gifts that God has given us. And I just say, find so much joy. I know this sounds so stupid, but I literally feel like, you know, you talk, you hear people and writers, like people like John Piper talks about worshiping God through creation. I genuinely feel a sense of worship to God when I eat a peach because I'm I mean, like, these things are so good and God created them for us. I know it's such a simple illustration, but I think that we miss the God, the goodness of God and the glory of God in things like meals and food and, and because we've made it into an idol, as you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think a lot of times in the church, our focus tends to be on avoiding, you know, gluttony, for example, but we don't necessarily pay enough homage to the fact that the Lord calls us to feast after we fast. You know, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he, what he's doing is he's appealing to our enjoyment of food, something that he designed for us to experience. Um, in Proverbs 25, 16, it says, if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and mm -hmm. you will vomit. It doesn't say don't eat honey. It doesn't say be really, really regimented in your approach to honey. It says just eat it to the point where you feel satisfied, but don't try to find the fullness of satisfaction in God through honey. 
Oh, that's good. Um, what do you think of body shaming? So what if, take the example of someone who maybe is starting to feel good about themselves, but they're in a relationship, maybe even a you know, marriage where you can't just get out of it because you don't like what the person you're married to thinks about the way you look. But how do you build resilience against negative talk all the time, you know, mm. sort of this body shaming? Yeah, that's that's a great question and a very hard question. Um, I think, you know, if it's someone that's in your family, um, someone you have a close relationship with, being honest with them and expressing maybe some of that discomfort, you know, your critical comments are hurting my relationship with myself. They're not helping me to be healthier. They're just making me to feel ashamed. Um, that would be a good conversation. But if it's someone maybe who's a few steps removed, creating a boundary, you know, if if someone I know is always making a comment about the way that I'm eating or what I'm eating. I'm just might choose not to eat meals with that person. I might go to the park with them to catch up or talk on the phone or something. Um, it's very individual, but I would definitely say that by protecting um, your identity in Christ and helping other people to not kind of force their maybe maligned view of the role of a person's body on you um, is a healthy thing to do. Um, because we all deserve to be treated with respect as a child of God. What um, um, what would you advise a parent who might be dealing with a child? Maybe they're watching some habits develop and they don't feel like they can speak into it, but they sense that there's a problem. What is a good way to approach, say, a high school? Like you were 15 when you started going through a lot of the food issues. What would have been a great approach for um, your parents at that time, or not just any parent that might be walking through that? What would you tell them now that yeah. they should or should do? I would say the biggest thing for a parent, of course, you care for your child and you want them to be well, but trying to maintain an open door of communication. And so forcing somebody, you know, most people kind of respond with resistance to someone coming on strong, um, you know, trying to be gentle and invite that child to share their feelings and share where they're coming from. Um, and of course they might not respond with grace, but if you as a parent can approach the child gently and with grace, that will long-term serve you the best. Um, and then as far as getting into those nitty gritty details of what, what's going on with that child, I, I am a big advocate for therapy, um, counseling, especially Christian perspective and counseling, um, helping someone to have an, a safe place that doesn't come with the whole baggage of what does my family think of me? What do my friends think of me? Um, where you can just be honest about what you're going through. And if you're not at a place where you feel like you're ready to make change, the therapist can help you in a very trained and um, safe way to maybe reach that point. Um, but that way it doesn't become an argument in the home. It doesn't become mm -hmm. a point of contention, um, which it might anyway, because when we love somebody, we tend to hold on really tight, you know? Um, well, and, and, and particularly with the eating disorders and temptations to be like, well, eat, eat, yeah. you eat this? And, and, and it doesn't get to the heart of what's happening in that mm -hmm. struggle, struggle, it seems. Uh, if, we, if eating was so easy, they would have done it. But <laughs> right. What is the role of community as adults who are walking through issues of body image and shame and whatnot? Is, do you, have you found community to be helpful or is it a place that deepens shame? Oh, I, I, well, you know, I guess it kind of depends because you could have toxic relationships for sure. Kind of people that enable you. Um, I definitely encourage people to find, um, strong relationships though, where they can have people who just encourage them, lift them up, pray for them. You know, that's been one of the most valuable things in my life is having community and relationships, people who 
love me and I know they love me, even if I'm going through something hard, even if maybe my struggle doesn't make sense to them or they can't identify with it, they can lift me up in prayer. They can encourage me um, if I'm having a bad day, even if they can't necessarily speak into that issue. And so even if a person is feeling a sense of struggle, but they aren't ready to make a change, still having community will help keep them out of the dark place that isolation brings. Do you um, find often with eating disorders that there's a, a lot of comorbidities with like depression or anxiety or? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, a lot of those kind of emotional struggles often are the the groundwork for where an eating disorder comes in. You know, maybe with anxiety, for example, we don't know how to cope with this Um, trigger that we have. And so we turn to something we do feel like we can control, which might be food, for example, or um, with depression, um, any, any mental illness, really, we just kind of, they can feed off of each other, Um, even just basic stressors, even if a person doesn't maybe have that clinical anxiety or depression, just stress and coping with stress can be a huge trigger for turning to a maladaptive behavior. Is your impression um, that there's more depression and anxiety in our culture now compared to 10 or 20 years ago, or just more awareness of it? I feel like the numbers are definitely higher, but what is at the root of that? Have you, have you thought about that much? I've tried to reflect on it for myself. And, you know, most of the data that I have from 10 or 20 years ago has come from studying kind of the medical literature of how things have changed um, and, you know, talking to people. But I think a lot of what it is, is we have a very high paced lifestyle. It's very high stakes. And we're, we have a tendency to, to feel like we need to meet those or check those items off of our list according to the world before we come to God. Um, and, and I've just been learning a lot lately for myself in my, in my own life, the importance of rest and resting in Christ and finding my, my value in him rather than in how productive I am at work. Um, or with anything, like how pro- quickly and efficiently I can like paint my house, you know? Um, and so, so just trying to, to cultivate this um, groundedness in Christ rather than feeling really scattered by all of the demands pulling at me um, in my daily life. And I think- What are some of the practices that you've done to, to cultivate that? I think that's so true and good. Yeah, yeah. So um, especially in the past few years, um, really having a regular- time where I'm praying and engaging in Bible study. That's usually how I start my day. Um, Right now I'm with my cup of coffee before I kind of do anything else. Um, And then more recently, I've been trying to um, meditate, which from a Christian perspective, that can kind of seem questionable. Like, what does that mean? Um, And (laughs) we're a fan of But it is funny. People get like, what? Yeah. But it it is biblical. I mean, it's a biblical word. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so what does that look like to you? What, what do you mean when you say meditate? Yes. So for me, what I try to do is just focus on my breath. So um, I find that when I'm stressed, I kind of hold my breath or I kind of breathe in a way that my chest is expanding, but my belly is kind of pulled in and we can't take a full breath that way. Um, and so I focus on breathing with my diaphragm so that my belly expands um, and, and focusing on just the physical movement of my belly instead of the thoughts that are running through my head. So I'll set a timer for five minutes and I'll just sit there and think about my breath. And if I see, or if I notice that I'm thinking about something else, I just try to say, oh, there's a thought that I had and and bring my attention back to breathing. Um, Other times I might focus on just a specific verse from scripture that maybe I'm trying to memorize and just kind of 
sit there with the verse in my mind. Um, and then I do the same thing. If I notice my mind is wandering to think about my to-do list or something, I just try to gracefully say, oh, I had a thought and move back to the verse that I was meditating on. I'm convinced, honestly, I, I am convinced that 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 is the heart. I've talked about that so much in, in the studies that I've taught lately and, and maybe in last year. I think that that is one of the hardest practices in 2020 and in the last maybe five years and moving forward will continue to be is to learn to have that mental rest. Even when you meet with God, there's so much going on in our brain that unless we train ourselves to quiet the noise in our soul, I think we miss being with God, which I really think so sort of like this concept of, of I think a lot of the issues that you talk about being fulfilled, it's, it's a sense of identity of being loved by God. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you can't see that. I, I know in my life, I can't connect with God's love if I'm not quiet before him mm-hmm. and any practice that, that, can be integrated into our lives um, into that regard, I think is so huge. Um, when does the book come out? Tell us some details about um, your your book as we kind of come to a close here and what people can expect in the book. Sure. So the book is called Fulfilled. Um, it will be coming out in March of 2021. And in this book, I, I tried to create it as um, partly theoretic or um, philosophical and partly practical. So we talk through um, kind of these roots of diet culture and the roots of um, disordered eating, as I would kind of frame it, you know, maybe not everybody reading it has a full-blown eating disorder, but maybe they just struggle with this pattern of yo-yo dieting. So we explore, you know, what leads to this? Why do we do this? What are some of the health risks of doing this? What are the spiritual health risks of doing this? Mm -hmm. And then I really try to focus on building a practical side as well. So sure, we understand we have this problem. How do we get out of that? So the practical steps towards understanding what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with food from a from a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual standpoint, and how do we get there? How do we take step-by-step approach to restoring our relationship with food to what God designed for it to be in the beginning? That's awesome. Uh, I really, uh, I'm looking forward to the book. In fact, so much so that I want to give a couple of copies away. Even uh, we'll go ahead and, and plan on that for when it comes out in March. But if you want that book, please send me an email at lena at livingwithpower.org. Um, tell people how, and you, we talked about the blog. I don't know if people are still blogging today, but I think you have a lot of resources online. Uh, tell us a little bit of how, how people can find you. Yeah, for sure. So I do, um, I do write a blog. It's called at alexandramckillop.com. And I write about um, my personal experience with disordered eating, as well as some practical tips to help people who might be struggling as well. I also add some health information there specifically about women's health, um, because I think that this dieting problem has a profound effect on our health as women. Um, And so that's the focus of my blog. I also have an Instagram page where I post pretty regularly. That's um, Alexandra C. McKillop. So can kind of McKillop is M-A-C-K-I-L-L-O-P. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. so I post more about kind of the uh, more of the food side on Instagram, just kind of some things that I maybe think are a little funny or kind of one-liners that um, <laughs> might help people kind of right, reconsider right. their views about food. So yeah, that's a great place to find me. So, I mean, really excited for all that you're doing. And of course, you're seeing new patients, right? You're starting mm-hmm. your practice. So people, if they're in Chicago, they yes. look for a doctor. This is a great uh, connection too, to um, if you're looking for somebody to, to, you know, take care of your health and, and give you these um, tips live, you can probably find her. Just look her up and, and uh uh, that's exciting. I'm going to be praying that God will continue to bless you. It's been really fun having you on here and hearing more of your story. 
And uh, I just love your heart. Just, I really love everything God is doing in and through you. So um, any last thoughts before uh, I wrap things up here? Um, I, I guess I would just close by saying, um, that I encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. So when next time you sit down to your meal, um, think about it in light of who God is and see it as a gift to you from him. Amen. I love that so much guys. I'm sure you guys got something out of this today. Remember to email me for a copy of a book, uh, Fulfilled, which I think all of us are looking for in our lives. So uh, next week, we'll be back to Dear Lena. In the meantime, remember, you can send me your questions about life, faith, and culture, and anything in between at dearlena at livingwithpower.org. And if you're looking for great biblical resources or most of what we have is free, just go to livingwithpower.org. Hey, when you land on our main page, there's a little blue box that says join our community. We have a live community on Facebook where I teach the Bible every Thursday night. I'd love to have you be a part of it. Uh, In the meantime, have a great day. God loves you and he sees exactly who you are. He um, continues to come after you because that's the kind of God we serve. Have a great day and I'll catch you next week.